Our Heavenly Father, we want to thank you that the word of the cross is your power for salvation. And not only to save us, but to bond us together as one body in love. We pray now that you help me to preach Christ and his cross faithfully. We pray that by your spirit you'd help us to understand your mind, that we would see the church as you do and grow in our love for one another as you desire. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Insiders and outsiders. Insiders and outsiders. Uh, if you sit back and observe carefully, you'll notice a dark underbelly in many churches. There are the insiders. They're the popular ones. They're the ones that are always asked to serve. They're thanked for their service. They meet in their cliques after the service uh, and often ignore those around them. And then there's the outsiders, the fringe people, those who feel like they don't really belong. Sit by themselves, uh, sit alone after the service, no one comes and talks to them. Maybe they're a little shy or, and awkward or, or, or just, just different. And they feel excluded and they feel as if their absence would not be noticed or even missed. Insiders and outsiders. It's an awful situation for a church who are meant to be a group of believers united in the Lord Jesus Christ, called to serve one another in love. But it is a dreadfully common situation in many churches. And it's very possible that in our sin, we, we come to church not because we care about others, but because ultimately we're serving ourselves. So that rather than being a place of love and acceptance, the church becomes a place of competition and jealousy. Outsiders withdrawing for their own comfort. Insiders ignoring because it's not convenient. And so division dominates rather than unity and pride instead of humble service. Now, many things can divide a congregation like that into insiders and outsiders. But one of those things is an unhealthy focus on spiritual gifts, where a church teaches that if you're a truly spirit-filled Christian who's been baptized with the Holy Spirit, then you'll have certain gifts, say, like speaking in tongues. And if you don't have those gifts, then you're missing out, you're deficient. You see, it creates insiders who have outsiders who don't. Well, that's the situation that's going on here in, in Corinth. The Corinthian church is proud and they are divided. The core issue is that they have embraced the worldly values of the culture around them and brought them into the church so that instead of looking at things through the, the lens of the cross and therefore uh, embracing uh, weakness and so on, they esteemed power and knowledge and gifts and eloquence and they looked down on those who didn't have such things, either ignoring them or rejecting them. They were a church that did not lack any spiritual gift, chapter 1, verse 6. But they were a church that was desperately lacking in love, such that despite all the gifts that they enjoyed, all the knowledge that they had, they weren't, in fact, spiritual people at all. Paul wrote back in chapter 3, verse 1, but I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, 
as infants in Christ. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving in only a human way? Paul calls this church unspiritual because they're not looking at, the, at things the way God does in the light of the cross. They're looking at things in a purely human way, just like the world around them. They had embraced an alternative spirituality shaped by the world. They had a distorted theology, which led, led to distorted practices, including in the way they used their gifts. And that's what Paul is coming to address here in 1 Corinthians 12 to 14. And so far we've seen that spiritual, spirituality has nothing to do with the gifts of the Spirit. We saw in verses 1 to 3 that what makes someone uh, spiritual is that by the Spirit they confess Jesus Christ as Lord. So they no longer live for themselves in their old way, but they live for Jesus. And in verses 4 to 11, we've seen that the truly spiritual person will use their varied gifts to build up the church. They're distributed according to God's grace, not so that we can boast about them, but so that we can use them for the common good, which is the building up, the edification of the church. That is, God gives us different gifts, not to divide us, but to unite us in love as one body in Christ. So let's uh, continue then. Uh, first point this morning. We've been baptized by the Spirit into one body. We've been baptized by the Spirit into one body. Paul says in verse 12, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one Spirit. Paul reminds us that as Christians we are saved to belong to the body of Christ. We're not saved to be individual Christians with only a personal relationship with God and nothing else. We are belong to a body, to a family. And the thing about a body, of course, is it's made up of different parts, but it is still united as one body. There's one body but many members, many different body parts. And in the same way, there is one church, one family of God, but it's made up of different people, different races, with different gifts, and so on, who are meant to work together as one towards a common goal. No matter who they are, no matter about what race, Jew or Gentile, no matter what social class, slave or free, we might add, no matter what gender, no matter what age, no matter what language they like to speak, no matter what gifts they have, we belong to one body. And so we are interdependent. We are in need of each other. We are different but united. And verse 13, Paul says that no matter who we are, we enter that body by being baptized in the Holy Spirit. Verse 13, all were made to drink of one spirit. Now, of course, this baptism of the Holy Spirit has been a rather controversial and divisive thing uh, since the rise of the Pentecostal and Charismatic movement in the 70s. Uh, this movement has often promoted what is called the second blessing theology. That is, that baptism in the Spirit refers to something uh, that happens sometime after your conversion. 
Uh, so you become a Christian, you're baptized with water, and at some point subsequent, later to that, uh, you experience baptism with the Holy Spirit, ev evidenced by a charismatic phenomenon such as speaking in tongues. That's the theology, for example, of the Alpha Course. Uh, in the initial weeks, they aim to have uh, people converted to Christ as they go through the gospel. And at the end of the course, the climax, they, uh, they try to have people experience baptism in the Holy Spirit, evidenced by speaking in tongues or, or some other experience like slain in the Spirit or something like that, such that uh, the conversion uh, and the baptism with water and the baptism with the Holy Spirit are seen as two separate things that happen at, at different times. It's a second blessing. Now, that kind of teaching is deeply wrong, right? Because baptism of the Holy Spirit always refers to our regeneration when we become Christians. And we're told for that very clearly here in verse 13. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. So baptism with the Spirit is not something that happens to a few extra spiritual Christians at some point after their conversion. It's something that happens to all Christians at conversion that means that they are part of the body in the first place. And that's because apart from the work of the Holy Spirit, we can't become Christians anyway. Uh, we saw that in verse 3. No one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. We saw back in chapter 2 that apart from the Spirit's work, the gospel will continue to remain a folly to us. Uh, it's only by the Spirit that we will ever believe and accept that Jesus is the Christ and submit to him as our Lord. You can't be a born-again Christian and not have been baptized by the Holy Spirit. Now, those who want to argue for second blessing theology do so by taking out of context passages from the book of Acts. Uh, so let's look at those briefly. In chapter 1, verse 5 of Acts, the risen Lord Jesus says, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And it's plain in the book of Acts that that promise of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is fulfilled at Pentecost as the Holy Spirit comes upon the disciples and they are filled with uh, the Holy Spirit. In his sermon, right at, at the end of that, Peter proclaims this in chapter 2, verse 38. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of, the, of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you, for your children, for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Paul says, Peter says very clearly here, we're baptized with the Holy Spirit at conversion. As we confess Jesus as Lord, all people, all nations, all time, we receive uh, the Spirit. Now, charismatics will point to the three mini Pentecosts that happen later in the book of Acts in chapters 8, 10, and 19, where there seems to be a delay between the initial conversion and when the Spirit is, is poured out. Now, if we had time to look at that in a lot more detail, we would find that it only happens uh, in those specific circumstances because they are very special occasions. 
It happens as the gospel crosses new frontiers for the first time. It happens as the gospel goes for the first time to the Samaritans in chapter 8 to show that they're really in the kingdom. It happens again in chapter 10 as the gospel goes to Cornelius to show the Gentiles are included in God's kingdom too. And it happens again in chapter 19 uh, with the disciples of John the Baptist to show that they're also in the kingdom as well. But it doesn't happen anywhere else in the book of Acts. The Pentecost experience is repeated in those chapters to show that these groups are also included among God's people. But they're not prescriptive of what always happens. What normally happens is what Peter says very clearly in chapter 2. You're baptized with the Spirit at conversion. That's why Paul says in Romans 8 verse 9, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Or Ephesians 1 verse 13, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. So baptism with the Holy Spirit is not a second experience that happens to more spiritual Christians that some Christians have and others do not. Baptism with the Spirit is something that happens to all Christians at their conversion. Now, it was exactly this kind of alternative spirituality, this confusion about the work and the gifts of the Spirit that was dividing the church in Corinth as well, that was leading some in the Corinthian church who had particular gifts like speaking in tongues to boast that they were more spiritual than other Christians who did not. And that's why Paul uses this metaphor of the body. He wants to show us how a right understanding of the gifts ought to unite us as the people of God rather than dividing us into those who are more spiritual and those who aren't. And so in the rest of this passage, he draws out the implications of that uh, for uh, those uh, who feel like outsiders or insiders. So first he addresses those who feel like outsiders in the church. And we're at point two now. Difference does not mean unimportance. Difference does not mean unimportance. See, it's easy for the outsider to think, because I'm different, I don't belong. If I don't have that gift that someone else has, then I'm not important. If I wasn't here, no one would notice or care. And Paul wants to correct that kind of wrong thinking. Verse 14, he says this, For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God has arranged the members of the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. So Paul reminds us that the Spirit has deliberately gifted each one of us differently. And, and that's a good thing, that we're different from one another. I mean, I hate to imagine if the whole church was full of clones of me. You know, that would be 
<laughs> a really shocking thing. I mean, just imagine that the whole body, your whole body was ears. I mean, that's a really strange sight, right? That would be very useless. I mean, imagine your hand was, was a foot. Um, that would make it a little bit more challenging to drive or to use chopsticks or eat your breakfast. Difference is a good thing. But of course, the perennial human problem is that we want to be the same. We want to be like everyone else. It's peer pressure at school and we don't grow out of it. We think, if I was on the music team, then I would be someone in the church. If I had that gift, oh, then I would be accepted. And Paul wants to remind us our value has nothing to do with what gifts we have or what other people think about us and the gifts that we have. It doesn't even matter what we think about ourselves. You might think that a foot is not as important as a hand, but a foot is still a part of the body, and therefore it is still important, and it still belongs, and God made us to belong, whether we feel like it or not. So Paul's point here is that we all have gifts, and we're all important. Our value is not defined by our gifts. Our value is defined by the gospel. Our value is defined by the fact God has made us belong to the body. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die in our place. He poured out his spirit into our hearts to, that we might confess Jesus as Lord, that we might belong to his body, the church. And so nothing else can make you more important or more valuable than the gospel. And we need to stop thinking that our value comes in our gifts or what kind of person I am. Uh, ultimately, that kind of thinking is a little bit self-centered. Right? Instead, we find our value in the gospel and it frees us to use our gifts, to use our personality, whatever it may be, to serve others. Uh, in a previous church of mine, there was a dear brother who became a Christian. His name was Justin. Uh, he was a quadriplegic. He had uh, been confined to a wheelchair after an accident that he had. And that meant there was lots of ministries that he couldn't do. Right? But there was one thing he could do very well, and that is he could talk. He could really talk. Uh, and so as he read the Bible as he led the prayers in the church, as he shared his testimony from his wheelchair, someone else held the microphone for him. It was a profound encouragement uh, to me and to the other believers there. God truly used him to build up that church. And so we shouldn't be upset if we're not on the music team, if we're not good at uh, public speaking, uh, if we're a little bit socially awkward or whatever it may be. If you are a Christian, however God has made you to be, you're valuable. You belong. The church needs you. And God has put you in this church. It's very interesting here what Paul doesn't say here. We might expect him to say, look, you Corinthians, there's a whole bunch of fringe people in your church. Go and make sure that they feel welcome. We might expect him to say that, don't we? But that's not what he says here, is it? He turns to the, uh, to the outsiders and he says, don't think that because you're different to others that you're not important. 
So stop sitting on your gifts and stop worrying about what everyone else thinks about you and get on with loving and serving others. I remember one preacher saying some years back that shyness can actually become a sin uh, for, for us. Because it's very possible that the cause of my shyness is that I'm more concerned about my own comfort than about uh, other people. I'm more concerned with how I feel around others or how other people think about me. Um, and so that's why I, I withdraw. We may be naturally shy for, for whatever reason. But if I'm a Christian and I'm other person-centered, then I'll seek to push past that in various ways so I can love and serve other people. Verse 18, as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. It's saying God deliberately made you to be you. He gave you the gifts and the personality that he decided. And so rather than despising how God made you to be and always seeking to be someone else, are you content to be you? And thank God for how he has made you to be. What you are is what is needed for the church. So don't look down on yourself or feel sorry for yourself. Look for opportunities to love and serve other people. Rejoice in the gifts of others instead of trying to be them or to compete with them. Stop comparing yourselves to others to find your sense of worth. Stop lamenting. Stop holding back. Recognize everyone is valuable. You are valuable. And whatever God has given you, use it in love for others. So having addressed the outsiders, then in verse 21 to 26, he turns to address the insiders. These people who arrogantly think that I don't need those other people because they're not as gifted as me. So point three, weaker, mem weaker members should, not be, should be loved, not rejected. Weaker members should be loved, not rejected. I, I say weaker then, and I'm using inverted commas here, because Paul doesn't say that they are in fact weak, if you read it carefully. He says, rather, in the eyes of some who are proudly exalting their own importance, such people seem to be weaker, or they think of them as less honorable. So Paul's not saying that they are weak or they are less honorable. He's talking about what the, the insiders think of them. So verse 21, The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our presentable parts do not require. So you never realize uh, how important a uh, part of the body is until you hurt it. Uh, for example, your toes. I mean, I, I guess most of us don't spend much time thinking about our toes. But if you ever hurt your toe, especially the little toe, right, you will quickly discover how difficult it is to walk, and you will realize that your little toe is actually a very, very important part of your body. 
So the, the Corinthians were arrogantly using their gifts to, to puff themselves up, to boast about uh, their gifts to one another, thinking that they didn't need other people who were not as gifted as them. But Paul is reminding us here, we always need others. God has deliberately made us different so that we learn to love and care for other people. Uh, some years back, I was at a Christian uh, campsite. It was in Kiel for a conference. There was another church that was also sharing the same uh, campsite uh, that, that weekend. And in that church, there was one person who was blind. And at least two or three seemed to suffer with Down syndrome. And it was really wonderful just to observe how that church functioned. It was beautiful to see how that church strived to, to, to care for those members of their church. They weren't kind of left to the side or ignored. They were given the special attention, extra care. That's God's design for the church, that we will be united in love, not divided in arrogance. You see again how the Bible reverses human values. The world despises weakness, but God saves through the weak and foolish cross. The, the world values power, but God chooses the despised. God's purpose, we're told, is that there would be no division, but perfect love. Verse 24, God so composed the body, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. So God's purpose in making us different is that we'd learn to love each other. The arrogant person is so focused on themselves, they forget the body, they forget the unity of the body. They forget that joy and pain is is felt by the whole body. If you hurt your toe, your whole body is sore, you see. Okay? The rest of the body is meant to be concerned about the toe. If you hurt it, if you hurt your toe, you use your hands, you use your mind, you use the rest of your body to try and, try and fix it. And so we're to rejoice in our differences. Instead of despising weakness, we are to thank God for the way he makes us weak so that uh, it moves us to love other people. We don't avoid those who are difficult. We use our gifts to love them. You see what the picture of the church here, where we all have needs and we're all needed. God gives some people some gifts, but not other gifts. God makes some people stronger, some people weaker. The purpose is to make us interdependent. He's given the church all the gifts it needs, all the people it needs, but he doesn't give it all to one person. So we're to rejoice in our differences and the gifts of others. Does someone sing well? Wonderful. You know, praise God for that. Is someone good at cooking? Praise God. You know, get them on the food roster. <laughs> Is someone good at administration? Wonderful. Praise God for that, that you don't have to prepare the admin for the church. Someone's good at IT? Praise God. You know, now we can watch live stream at home. God gives us all different gifts. And so instead of thinking, oh, I'm, I'm no good because I don't have that gift, or I'm so wonderful because I've got this really important gift, we are to recognize 
We need the gifts of others. And they need ours. Then we will be humble. We'll be loving. And the body will be united. So, having said all that, Paul closes this passage in a way that may then surprise us. He says that even though we've all been given gifts, and all our gifts are important, and our gifts don't make us more spiritual or valuable, he then goes on to say that there's such a thing as the higher gifts. Verse 31. Earnestly desire the higher gifts. We're now at point four. Notice the ordering of the gifts in verse 27 and 28. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles and gifts of healing, helping administration and various kinds of tongues. So what comes first are apostles, prophets, teachers, those with the word gifts who proclaim the word of God, and then comes all the other gifts, miracles, healing, helping, administration, tongues, and so on. And notice which gift is last in the list. Tongues. I don't think that's an accident. And I know that because Paul lists tongues last in all four lists in uh, these chapters. He probably does that because the Corinthian church is obsessed with speaking in tongues. And so he puts it last because they're putting far too much emphasis on tongues and interpretation as the pinnacle gifts in the church, the defining mark of spirituality. They were first century Pentecostals, I guess. And so to correct that overemphasis, in every list you find in chapters 12 to 14, he puts tongues last. So interesting. The higher gifts, apostles, prophets, teachers, those who teach the word, tongues, last. Still a gift, but it's last. It's not first. Now notice the expectation is that not everyone will have all of these gifts. Again, verse 29, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all possess gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret? And the Greek tells us the answer expected to each of those questions is no. And so to suggest that one gift, like speaking in tongues, is the evidence that you have been baptized by the Holy Spirit and therefore you're a more spiritual Christian is a terrible mistake. Because not all Christians possess the gift of speaking in tongues and can possess the gift of speaking in tongues. And such an emphasis on one gift like that can only serve to divide the church where the spiritual look down on those that they consider less. Where a bunch of people who think that they are the eyes and the ears because they speak in tongues think that they are better than others who they consider to be feet and toes. We're all given gifts. We're all given different gifts. But verse 31, earnestly desire the higher gifts, not tongues, but the word gifts. And Paul is going to tell us when we get to chapter 14, why the word gifts like prophecy are higher gifts than other gifts like speaking in tongues. And wait in a few weeks' time. And it's, the answer basically is because God's word is what builds up the church. 
But before we talk about the higher gifts in a few chapters, there's something more fundamental that we first need to grasp. That's how we use our gifts. Not for personal benefit, not for self-promotion, not to prove we're more spiritual than others, but in love, for the good of others. And that's why he ends this chapter the way he does. But verse 31, earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. And that is the way of love, which we will consider next time. Well, let's conclude. It's awfully common for churches to be divided into insiders and outsiders. Those perceived to be more important because they possess certain gifts that are seen to be more valuable. Those on the fringe that feel excluded because they do not. But we've seen today that's not how churches are meant to be. Churches are meant to be united. And it won't happen while people are selfishly focused on themselves and boasting in their own importance, jealous and, uh, and, and, and striving with others. That will not produce a united church. We've all been baptized by one spirit into one body. Difference does not mean unimportance. We're all valuable. We all belong, no matter what gifts we have. Weaker members should, not, should be loved and not rejected because it's God's intention that we use our gifts to love one another and build up the body, not to proudly exalt ourselves. And yes, there are higher gifts, word gifts that build up the church, but what is more important than our gifts is that we use them in love. So why not take some time to reflect on your own life? Do you feel like an insider or an outsider in this church? Uh, do you have an overinflated uh, view of your own importance? Or are you undervaluing yourself? As you think about the church and as you think about your gifts, are you focusing on glorifying God and serving others? Or is your focus more on yourself? We all need to remember that what makes us valuable and important is that Christ our Savior died for us and God our Father poured out his Spirit that we might proclaim Jesus as our Lord and be members of his body. We need to remember the gospel. We need to remember our identity in Christ. And as we do that, we will remember that we're not just saved as individuals. We're saved into a church where God has called us to use whatever he has given us to love and serve our brothers and sisters. So take some time to think. How can I remind those who feel different or fringe that they are special and loved? How can I rejoice in the gift of gifts of others, serving in whatever ways I can, without comparing myself to them? There's one body, many parts. We are to rejoice in our diversity and in love pursue unity. Let's pray. Now, Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for uniting us together in Christ as one body with many parts. Thank you for reminding us that our value 
and our importance is not defined by our gifts or our personality. But you have given us gifts to love and serve others instead of comparing ourselves with them. Lord, for those who feel like they are on the fringes this morning, who feel like outsiders, excluded, Lord, remind them that they belong, that their ministry is needed, that they are special to you and to us. Lord, for those who are insiders, give them such a spirit of love and care, a spirit of humble service, that they will use whatever gifts you've graciously given for the sake of others and not for themselves. Help us, Lord, uh, to come to church not thinking about ourselves, but thinking about others. That the church may be united as the united church you saved it to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you.